It's time to end Obamacare now. For the past eight years, we have been suffering under President Obama's ridiculous policies, the worst of which... Obamacare. And you know why it's bad. It raised premiums, it decreased patient choice, and it made people even more dependent on government. But when President-elect Trump takes office on January 20th, we can finally repeal Obamacare. But there are liberals in D.C. who are conspiring to save it. And the only way we can stop them is if we get grassroots activists like you to stand up to them and pledge to help President-elect Trump repeal Obamacare on day one. So stand with President-elect Trump and go to www.repealobamacarenow.com. Get involved. Help repeal Obamacare. If you don't act now, we won't be able to make a difference. If you want lower premiums, better health care, we need to repeal Obamacare on day one. And that's why you need to go to www.repealobamacarenow.com. It's time to take advantage of this historic opportunity and see how freedom works. We've got some big news to tell you about from our partners at Conservative Review. Coming this December, it's CRTV, a brand new commercial-free digital network featuring Mark Levin, Michelle Malkin, and Mark Stein. You get all of this content anywhere you go, your laptop, tablet, cell phone, or even on Roku or Apple TV. And you can have all of this programming for a year for only $89 if you sign up before December 1st at CRTV.com. But to get that special price, you've got to use my name at the checkout, Dace. That's D-E-A-C-E. So go to CRTV.com and sign up today. Levin, Malkin, Stein, all for $89 a year. If you go to CRTV.com today and use the promo code DACE. You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker. That is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And greetings, Happy New Year. We are back at it again. 2017 is now officially underway here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Don't forget, we love to know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. And I have to tell you, I wasn't sure. Normally, I take this end-of-the-year vacation every year, the last couple of weeks of the year off, and one of the reasons I do it isn't just the holidays, but it's also one of the times of year that there aren't any ratings in our business. So it's a good time to be gone. And normally, by the time we get to the last couple of days, you know, I'm always sluggish that Monday after Thanksgiving. You have the long weekend. I'm just used to getting home, and you go right back to work. Normally, we get to the last couple of days, and I'm kind of chomping at the bit. The last week at our house, somebody's been sick every day. So, didn't seem like I had two weeks. <laughs> didn't seem like I had two weeks off. I wasn't nearly as as amped up to get back going again. Came back from the gym, turned a little prime country on Sirius XM in the uh, in the vehicle. Heard a little Travis Tritt. Here's a quarter. Call someone who cares. I'm ready to go. I got me country fired up. Music. I got me that kind of country music. Yeah. Good stuff. Good job. Yeah, no. yeah, that stuff. Okay. Um, that got me fired up though. So I've been gone for the last couple weeks. So gentlemen, what'd you do on your Christmas vacation? 
I didn't do a lot. You know, last year we did a big Christmas. We went to Universal. Noah got his, his certificate to go to his first Michigan game. This year, you know, the kids just got money and gift certificates for most people. And we kind of chilled out and, um, uh, and, and got sick, everybody, the last week. In fact, when I left the house here this evening, there were still a couple of people recovering. So what happened to you guys as Pats? Uh, I was traveling most of the time that I had officially off. I was uh, out of the state, uh, went over to uh, Spokane to visit some family, uh, went skiing. Uh, I also got ski- uh, sick. I looked at some cadavers with my nine-year-old nephew, uh, just typical... Cadavers? Cadavers, real cadavers. Why did you do that? Uh, because he was really interested in it. It was an, it was an exhibit at the uh, Science Center Is that something Spokane. that should be encouraged, do you think? Um, I was really kind of... Um, I, was, I, I was really worried that he wasn't so worried about this because he's only nine years old and he was really interested in this. Uh, he, he was pointing out all the body parts on these uh, cadavers and... Um, it was kind of it was kind of disturbing. Merry Christmas, everybody. Yeah. There's a bit of a fine line there between maybe uh, you're grooming a, a future physician or, mm-hmm. or, or 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 yeah, we'll leave it at that. Or his yes. mom is a nurse, so I okay, think that right, has right, something okay. to do with it. Well, you should have led with that. <laughs> it was not going to be as interesting, though. I was beginning to think you were pretty much. You said it was your nephew. <laughs> My nephew. Yeah. I was beginning to think you were pretty much the worst uncle ever. <laughs> And you should have led with. I mean, there was some oh, missing no. component of information I there. I'm the best. Uh, you should have said, ever. "Well, my nephew's a, my my nephew's mother um, is a, a nurse, and so you know, caring about uh, the human body runs in the family, and so he wanted to go to this cadaver." That would have made more sense, Todd. Would it have not? It was like the second word. It was just like cadaver. Yeah. <laughs> were, were you not getting increasingly disturbed by where this whole thing was going? A little bit. Yeah. Cadaver, yes. a nine-year-old. You hear? Oh, I don't know where this is going. Yeah. yeah. I, I, and, and maybe I don't want to stick around like. 10 years from now to find out <laughs> it was good though. did you get everything you wanted for christmas yeah i just got uh, time with family that's all that i wanted jesus juke nice it didn't take long yes. you know my family does spoil me a lot so there's really not much left for me to ask for at christmas like i held off buying my um michigan Jumpman, uh you know football jersey this year just so they could get me something for Christmas because th- that would be something that was affordable that I could put on a Christmas list because I get spoiled the rest of the year and we get to we get to December and there's there's not much left to buy because it's not like they can afford you know just to run out and get grab daddy you know the uh, the new ultra 4 HD mm-hmm. you know television set right so because the, when you get older you'll find those are the kinds of toys that you want right. So um, you're right. It, we, as you do get older, it is more about the time you get to spend with your family and those sorts of things. What about at your house, Todd? Well, I woke up a couple of days after Christmas, which turned our house into Legoland, which was very cool. Uh, then I uh, had a kink in my neck that got increasingly bad, so spent most of the last week recuperating from that. But I'm bearing the lead. The most important thing Aaron and I did over Christmas break is that while you were gone, live on air, we played on the Steve Dace radio program, Year of the Cat, live. And everyone was enriched because of it. I would say that's probably the best nine minutes of program. Top that, Dace, in 2017. The song is nine minutes? Uh, No, the segment was nine minutes. Oh, okay. It's close, though. It's six minutes. What did you think of the songers? And I, I am proud to say that I've never heard it. Oh, I had heard it before. I was You had? Yeah, I was familiar with it, which is why I was wondering why this love affair was going on. And I was kind of surprised that so many people hadn't heard of this thing what, what kind of a reaction did you get from the audience to that 
Uh, it was mostly uh, positive. In fact, I think it was 100% positive. Um, I, don't, I mean, I think you're in the minority. I think it's safe to say you're in the As minority. As in positively, now. never play that again? Or? Oh, positively, boy, Aaron, thank you As so much. As in positively, that is the worst radio of all time? Yeah, or? As in positively, Aaron, you are the best person ever for liking this song. Thank you for bringing it into my life. Please play it every, t- every as, show. As, well, as long as the top dog is away, the cat will play. Mm-hmm. See what I did there? Rhyming. Oh, did you like that? Yeah, that yeah. As long as Aaron doesn't hear a positively you're fired, he's cool with it. Uh, I don't, just so, if you're new to this show, you may not know, I never listen when I'm not on. There are rare occasions, if, if we have a guest host who asks me to listen because they want feedback, I will do it. But other than that, I don't listen when I'm not on for three reasons. One, or two reasons. One, I like to just get away. Yes. Uh, two, like I've never understood in Major League Baseball. Uh, uh, Miguel Cabrera's got the day off today. Really? Because I, I, I see his happy butt sitting in the dugout. Mm-hmm. That ain't a day off play. What, what do you mean? He, if, if he can come to the gym he can come, or come to the park, get dressed, can't play. Can't at least, he's in the American League, can't at least swing the bat four times. I mean, seriously? I mean, when you hear a day off, you're gone, right? So I've never understood this idea of listening. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm off. If I wanted to be involved in the radio show... Guess what I should have done? Worked. So I took the day off. The other is far more selfish. If they're terrible, I don't want to have to comment on it. If they're better than me, I don't want to have to acknowledge it. Plausible deniability. Plausible (laughs) deniability. So when I get get comments from listeners, I'm like, I didn't listen. Sorry. That's it. Mm -hmm. As long as nothing technically went wrong and everybody was on the air, I'm satisfied. Did you guys wa- go to the movies? Anything like that? Did you oh, see anything Passengers. Over I thought that was really, really cool. I also Did you? Because the reviews have not been good on it. I thought it was... It, it was the story was pretty pretty uh, sweet, I thought. Uh, really? It was an interesting... Just an interesting concept. It's not the best. It's not one of the top 10 or top 15 movies I've ever seen, but it was it was pretty good. I also got to watch a movie that came out earlier this year that is hilarious. Hail Caesar. Did either of you see that? No. Really funny. George Clooney's in that, right? George Clooney. It's a Coen Brothers movie. They made uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Or Where Where Art Thou? And Fargo. Saw Rogue One twice. It's awesome. Finally, Star Wars redeemed. Saw Rogue One again. Uh, saw Sing, which is predictable, but it's adorable on its way to its predictable its predictable ending. My wife hated it. Really? Because we liked it, except for my nine year old son, but he's not necessarily the target audience for it anyway. But uh, but I, I, we saw Sing. I'm trying to think of, um, I watched Sully on demand. Is it good? I'm, that's next. It is good, but it, it's kind of weird in that most of the movie is this guy wrestling with whether he made the right decision or not. Yeah. And, 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 and then, and, and being socially awkward while receiving all these congratulate, congratulations for what he did, it's. Was there really it's, that much debate over uh, no, whether what he did was no, the best? No, not publicly there wasn't. No, I mean, and, and I guess the NTSB uh, agents at the time were really ticked off because they're depicted in this film as as uh, curmudgeons, Ebenezer Scrooge types, you know, mm-hmm. trying to railroad this guy. And I, I guess they needed a foil. I understand that. I mean, it's, it's Clint Eastwood, so the movie's well made. I just found the story to be... Is this like taking a, weird, a Saturday Night Live skit and trying to turn it into a movie? Yeah, the, I just thought it was a weird angle to take with this, you know? Um, it's not what I anticipated that it would be. I did see a fantastic horror film. Maybe the best horror film I've seen this year called The Autopsy of Jane Doe. And it just came out. And I don't want to give it away. 
It's about this father-son uh, mortuary, and, and this body comes in late at night. It's a family business. This, this is right up your alley. Yeah, cadavers, right? Yeah, you, yes. you, you, you put my full memory to remember this. <laughs> and this cadaver comes in, middle of the night, and it is basically in pristine condition. And they got to figure out what happened to this woman. And what happens next is good. I'm, I was surprised. I, I thought it might be the best horror film I saw in 2016. See, your reaction to him when he goes cadavers right out of the gate, you tell me more. That's yeah. Dace's answer. Yes. Yeah, I, I didn't say I wasn't interested. I just thought the kid shouldn't be interested. Yeah. I mean, I was interested in that stuff at nine years old, and look how I turned out. <laughs> you don't want him to be like me. All right, when we come back, we'll get you not just now that you're caught up on what we did, what was going on in the rest of the world the last couple of weeks. We'll find out next. You're listening to Steve Dace. The Bible and the Constitution don't just apply to Democrats. This is Steve Dace. All right, back here on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. So what happened while I was away, other than the year of the cat, soiled these airwaves? And by the way, when you jack with the boss's meal ticket when he's on vacay and he didn't know, don't tell him when he comes back. All right? (laughs) Just a little tip on the dope rhyme there. Uh, duly noted. But there was some big news here as we as we got down to the final hours and days of 2016. So let's get caught up on a special holiday edition of News and Views. Yeah, let's uh, start with uh, probably the biggest story over the long uh, holiday couple of weeks that you were gone. Just before Christmas, the United States abstained from voting against uh, the UN uh, Security Council Resolution 2334 condemning Israel settlements in biblical Judea and Samaria, also known as the West Bank. In doing so, the U.S. abandoned its longtime policy of vetoing anti-Israel resolutions. In a lengthy speech last Wednesday, Secretary of State John Kerry argued that condemning settlements was the best way to promote Israeli-Palestinian peace. Palestinians, of course, were pleased with the U.N. decision. They hope it will force Israel to give them land without giving anything back in exchange. Israel says it has evidence it will give incoming President Trump uh, that the evidence that the Obama administration helped write the resolution. Now, this, was, this sparked outrage and an outcry from really both sides of the aisle over the Christmas uh, vacation with uh, Donald Trump uh, really going after uh, Obama and the U.N. uh, and uh, voicing his uh, support again for Israel. It's a final jab from President Obama to Israel before he leaves office. I, I don't want to begin the year with hyperbole, but what transpired on this story while I was away was one of the most extraordinary moments in modern American foreign policy. And I, and I don't think that it can be underestimated. Uh, to, to have John Kerry, the outgoing Secretary of State, stand up and say that Israel is going to have to choose whether to be Jewish or Democratic. I, I can't even... I can't 
I can't envision how that line, after it made it through how many handlers, how many analysts, and they said, yeah, roll with that, go with that. I think we've long known that this branch of progressivism has thought this way, or at least suspected it, when you try to reverse engineer the outcome of their positions. Right? It's the old Occam's razor. Whatever the simplest explanation must be true. I mean, there's only a couple of simple explanations for why they continue to pursue these failed paths of foreign policy and dealing with Islam and that part of the world. One of them is they just hate Israel. They're just, they're just a bunch of anti-Semites. You don't really want that to be the one, so you look for one or two other simple ones, right? I think we are all living in a day and age where we are tired of ethnic and racial blasts being being posited at, at uh, either side when you don't agri- agree with someone just on an ideological or behavioral or moral basis. That, that clearly we're more than just the sum of our parts as human beings. We're more than just our uh, the, the skin tone or the pigment or lack thereof or the country of origin that our ancestors came from. And too many of our arguments in this day and age seem to get just reduced to that. Except this time, the Secretary of State of these United States opened his mouth and just said it. I mean, just said it. He just literally said to Israel, hey, you're going to have to turn your back on your Jewish heritage to make this, to accommodate the rest of the world, to accommodate us. You're going to have to turn your back on your heritage. We've heard, by the way, this argument before. This argument has consistently been made. Not, and, I, and I hate the, the Nazi card, and I'm not making those comparisons. The reality is this argument has been made towards the Jewish people for eons. You can't be Jewish and part of the Reich. Yes. Thank you for saying this. It must be said. But it's been, it's been said in other, in, in other facets and other civilizations as well. This is not new. I mean, it's, it is not new for the Jewish people to hear this. What is new is to hear it from the government that is one of the primary reasons that they have a free and independent state to begin with, and that's the United States of America. And to see our own government go out and betray that alliance, and, and even if you don't believe in the, the religious aspect or the, the theology that drives many of you that listen to a show like this to support Israel, even if you don't share that, can we just look at this from a common sense perspective? Why in the world would you, especially at a time that Netanyahu is making substantive diplomatic gains throughout the Middle East? Mr. 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 Hawk, Iran aside, even though he's known as a hawk, Iran aside, in this past year Netanyahu has worked very, very hard. To, to strengthen Israel's diplomatic ties with its Arab neighbors. And Iran's not an Arab country anyway. Just a Muslim one. So why now? Why when he is trying to grow their, di- their diplomatic ties, why would you seek to undermine and delegitimize the only form of government in that region that is not instantly hostile to us. That doesn't make any sense. 
And there are several answers to why you would do this, gentlemen. None of them are good. And that's what's, that is what is extraordinary about this. And in fairness here, the Obama regime, the two-state solution didn't start with them. It actually started with James Baker and the Bushes. That's where it began. And it has long been a fevered dream of progressives in both the R and D parties to impose this two-state solution upon Israel. But they have given, they have given, they have given, they have given everything they could possibly give away other than their own sovereignty. What is there left to give? I don't think this can be underestimated. What has also been fascinating about this is to watch Trump's evolution on this over the last year. You know, it wasn't too long ago that he was the only Republican presidential candidate who said he wouldn't rip up the Iran deal on day one. Remember that? It wasn't too long ago that he went and gave that APAC speech with Hillary Clinton. They gave joint speeches. And we listened to both and thought, holy crap, Hillary actually gave a better pro-Israel speech than yep. he did. Remember that? He said, hey, I don't know you guys really want peace. Remember that? Mm-hmm. This, was, this was less than a year ago. And now you have watched him really move to the right. Which is odd. You don't see too many people move to the right on anything after the election. But we have seen Trump move to the right on this since the election even. More in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Day Show. This is Steve Dace. All right, back here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. The one thing that will clearly be different in an upgrade. Will uh, will be the foreign will at least be our relationship with Israel. Now, that is faint praise, <laughs> given what this administration is doing on its way out. And you know, we talked about this after the election. We were the first that I saw make the analogy of of Obama and his people on their way out the door would be like those tenants who get evicted for not paying their own rent mm-hmm. and they trash the place on the way out. And then for the first several days after the election, he was amongst the most magnanimous statesman like he has been his entire presidency. What are we now seeing, though, as we get closer and closer to the cock crowing here on the Obama regime? I don't think I really want to be that nice guy. I think I'm going to trash Yeah, everything. I mean, you see it with the regulations they're trying to impose, the, last, the pardons, the last-minute appointees. And now I noticed while I was on vacation, numerous people are using this word picture that we first used a couple of months ago, this this notion that they would trash the joint on the way out. And I don't think that... It, it, it's sad to me. It's sad to me to see them do this. We should not, though, be surprised. People can't rise above their own worldview. They simply can't. 
the the idea that that he is positing out there now that he's going to stick around and comment on issues the next four years is a gift to a Trump presidency, a gift. The one thing we have learned about Donald Trump is when he has a straw man, he is difficult to defeat. And when he doesn't have a straw man, he better come up with a straw man. He is not good on his own. Not good on his own. The dumb, one of the dumbest things the left could do would be to have Obama sitting out there as a shadow proxy backseat driving for the next four years, which would allow Trump to use him as his straw man. And every time, because Obama, if he, if, if, by entering himself into the debate, that gives Trump the opening to say, see, I've got to clean up his mess. And it's a, more, it's a more credible case when Obama is still actively engaged as the blame Bush phenomenon was on the left when George W. Bush just went away. But if Obama wants to remain active, wants to remain a pundit, well, now you're playing the game Trump wants to play. I think that's a, that's a terrible tactic. I think most of the things the left has done since this election tactically are awful. Helping Trump, hurting themselves. Why are they doing these things? Well, I think a lot of it is you can't rise above your own worldview. These people have not, first of all, they believe in the moral and intellectual superiority of their, value, of their belief system. That's inherent to progressivism. Progressivism inherently is narcissistic. It puts the highest value on self to begin with. It elevates emotion at the, ext- at, the, at, at the expense of logic. So inherently it is narcissistic as a belief system. You're not acknowledging from the outset there is something transcendent over you that you are accountable to. You're a walking Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's about you. So you, there's, a, there's a level of narcissism inherent to it anyway. And if it's about you, well, if I have more degrees than you, if I have more titles than you, then guess what that makes me? Better than you. My kids love this Disney movie, Lemonade Stand, or Lemonade Mouth is what it's called. Really good from a few years ago, but this high school rock band, and their rival rock band does this song called Hey, Hey, Don't You Wish You Were Us, okay? Right? And it's, that's progressivism, I'm entitled to tell you how to live your life. I'm better than you. So there's a certain level of narcissism that they can't avoid to begin with. But the other problem I think they're having is they've ne- in, a, in, in post-Reagan America, the left has never lived in a world where the media didn't determine the narrative. Or if they lost the narrative, the media had the power the next day to change it to a favorable one. They're facing adversity for the first time. For the time. first time, they have to win an argument straight up. They can't just win it with the, pers- with, with, the, with the Republicans at least having the perception that they can't overcome the media. Trump's blown that up. Media's done. Defeated. And there's some good things about that, and there are some bad things about that. But the left can't just run to the media now and intimidate the Republican Party or the right of center in America anymore. So they've got to win these things straight up. Trump doesn't care about you throwing tampons at him. He doesn't care about you throwing your feces. That stuff, he, that mobocracy stuff doesn't work in Trumpism. So they're going to have to figure out some different tactics. And what we may find is they don't have any. 
You're listening to Steve Dace. have to have all the answers, but you do have to know where to find them. The Steve Day Show. Back here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Whatever odds there were that Trump was going to go back on moving the embassy to Jerusalem. I think, I don't know what you guys think. I think they're like negative integers now. I think Trump will just move it to Jerusalem just on the, pardon the pun, chutzpah alone because of the way it's been set up for him. And I think symbolically, that will be a potent and powerful move in the Middle East. What do you guys think? I think that's absolutely correct. And I, um, this, the, the symbolism of that alone is going to be powerful. And then the, um, what it does to actually strengthen uh, the United States' relationship with Israel, which for all the reasons you pointed out in the last segment, Steve, has just been obliterated during the Obama era. Yes, that's going to be a good, uh, a good news. And if you wonder why, uh, I, I think... You, Part of the reason why you went to why this says so much about progressives' worldview, it's the first question that you can really determine everything or anything you need to know about a person's worldview, which is, what do you think about human nature? Is human nature inherently good? People like Barack Obama think, yes, it's inherently good. So when they're faced, when they're confronted with a situation like you've had with Israel, uh, where they've... Uh, given and given and given everything they've had and have been under attack by Palestinians and really terrorists. That's what we're we're talking about Mm -hmm. for years after year. They don't know what to do with themselves. So you get these stupid, uh, asinine, uh, phony um, solutions like the two-state solution because they cannot, they cannot, it's not that they won't, it's that they can't confront the fact that human nature is not good when they are confronted with it. So you try to get these types of resolutions and when people won't go along with that and won't play along with it i think you'll get results like what we saw from president obama which he's really going petty right now well and i think what aaron just described todd is is what is what they mean when they say you have to choose to either be jewish or democratic the idea that you would introduce a legacy a history a geography a theology anything at all for the progressive, any, any, the idea that you would introduce a standard higher than what, whatever progressivism's aims and goals are at the time can't be tolerated in the mind of the progressive. Whether you're nuns, whether you're, the, whether you're Hobby Lobby, whether you're Chick-fil-A, or whether you're a nation state like Israel. The idea that you claim there is something, because you're, again, you're dealing with a worldview that begins and ends with the self. So the idea that you're claiming some allegiance to something higher than self isn't tolerated in the progressive worldview. Well, I actually give them tremendous credit for being philosophically consistent here because how many years in a row now have they spent uh, trying to separate Christians from democracy by uh, destroying the First Amendment in this country? This is just what they want to do overseas now. 
Uh, now, as far as what you said about um, the embassy, if Trump is what I think most of us believe he is, I think you're right. But as we talked about before you left, Steve, if he is playing with this Secretary of State nomination relationship with Putin, if he has some version of three-dimensional chess that we can't quite grasp yet, then I'm not so sure about that because that would be a fundamental piece to that. And lastly, any year that is starting out with a conversation about a two-state solution is by definition not a new year. We are going down the grotesque rabbit hole of so many old broken years before us. No, the, the, the Israelis have offered 90-some-odd percent of what the Arab world has wanted, going back to Arafat and Bill Clinton when he was in the White House. I mean, just the notion of Palestinians to begin with is a straw man. Right. Why is there such a people? What did they do? How did they bring this upon themselves? Was it ever their land to begin with? Why, why do we talk about this over and over and over again? See, I think a lot of Americans believe this is the same argument that's been going on since the book of Genesis. No. And in, in a way, they're right, but not for the reasons they think. And these aren't the, 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 the Palestinians aren't the descendants of those people from thousands of years ago. So in a way, they are right. It is the same argument. It's just not in the context that they think, and these aren't the people that they think they are. And that's what you're alluding to, yes. right? I mean, what did Newt Gingrich call him when he ran for president the last time? A fake civilization, basically, and he got hammered for that. But that's really what we're talking about. We're really talking about, maybe fake's a strong word. How about contrived? We're really talking about a contrived this civilization. This whole thing is propaganda. Well, mm -hmm. they, here's the thing. The reason, the reason why 90% or more that the Israelis have offered over the last couple of decades, going back to when Bubba was in the White House, and he tried to legitimize Yasser Arafat from terrorist to statesman. The reason why they don't take these deals is because of their worldview won't allow it. The end game of the worldview is the eradication of the, of the nation of Israel. That's the end game. But, but the progressives seem to think that they can come up with something that would cause the Muslim world to over... to, to, to well, elements we should say. Let's not paint everybody with a broad brush, because Israel does have friends, does have some at least friendlies there. But but this this they think that's this again goes to the arrogance I was just talking about. Why aren't you? Why are you radical Islamist or orthodox Islamist for that matter? Why aren't you willing to decide for yourself what parts of your religion and belief system that are of value to you at the time to accomplish the worldly goals you seek like we are. Like we are. Why aren't you willing to do that? What do you, what do you mean that there is, you're seeking something more transcendent than let's just all get along and live in some, and live in a world with $15 minimum wage? What do you mean you want something more than that? That's not enough for you. That's, that's not what you're seeking. You know, for, for claiming to be about tolerance and diversity, progressives have a tendency to lump all of humanity into one pea soup and just assume everybody wants the same things. No, they don't. They don't you, want and, the same things. And if you don't fall into that pea soup, you're stupid and backwards. Yes, and then you will be made to care. More in a moment.
You're listening to Steve Dace. If you're part of the problem, don't bother getting out of the way. Stay right there, and we'll run over you. This is Steve Dace. All right, some more weekend or holiday, in this case, news and views to get to. Several other things I want to comment on, so we'll do some of this next hour as well. But there is one speaker for Trump's upcoming inauguration that's making some uh, some waves, Aaron. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, more and more news is coming out about Trump's inauguration. Some speakers were announced, one of which was Paula White. If you don't know who Paula White is, well, we got you covered. <laughs> Count your blessings. We could be playing some Paula White. I don't know what you're going through, but you're going to dig your way out of poverty. So right now, there is a $1.5 million need, and I want you to be a part of it. You're going to dig your way out of depression. I need you to do your very best. Click the donation right there. You're going to dig your way out of divorce court. Go to that button and say, yes, Paula, I'm going to stand. You're going to dig your way out of every lie that life has labeled you with. I don't know what wilderness you're in right now, but just let the devil know you you picked the wrong person to mess with. Not only to transform lives, to heal hearts and to save souls, but literally to put you in a position of strength, a $1.5 million need. a shovel you're gonna get yourself out of this can you dig it because after i went through everything i went through i was confused because you take it personally initially i mean i said what was wrong with me was i not good enough did i not did i not love on you enough come on you you it messes with your mind you know was i not pretty enough was i not did i i know i took care of you in that way come on don't don't even make me go there this is why i love pastor paula i work my hips and lips and i can cook too praise the lord <laughs> about the plastic surgery we mentioned at the beginning there were stories that you and your husband both had plastic surgery which is your right of course but that the church paid for it uh, yeah, well, we're going back to $1.5 million need. Click the donation right there. Your praise is about to break even. Because of your loan to the Lord, there is a book deal coming to you. Go ahead, start looking for property, but it's going to fund the kingdom of God. Click the donation right there. Money! It's a crime. Click the donation right there. Money. So they say is Click the donation right there. Yeah, she's a heretic. Guys. <laughs> That's all. Making uh, I was uh, making heretics great, great again. again yes. We're making this heretic great again, yeah. that's for sure. Hour two is next. Listening to Steve Dace.
you are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential, derived from our maker. That is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And we're back with Hour 2 here of the Steve Day Show. Happy New Year. Back for 2017 after the long holiday layoff. Want to thank the team here. You guys for filling in. Shannon Joy for filling in uh, for us as well while we were gone for the last couple of weeks. Don't forget, we love to know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's a D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show couple more stories I want us to get to in the holiday news and views. And I want to begin with more on the Russia front. Aaron. That's correct. Uh, President Barack Obama took some unprecedented steps last week to retaliate against alleged Russian interference in the 2016 election, prompting vows from Russian authorities that Moscow will respond in kind. The administration described Russia's involvement as, quote, significant malicious cyber-enabled activities and sanctioned four Russian individuals and five Russian entities for what it said was election interference. The administration also ordered 35 Russian diplomats to leave the country, and two Russian compounds are being closed. This is the first time the names of the Russian officials involved in the hacking have become uh, public uh, or in a situation like this. According to statements from the White House and the Treasury Department, the government has sanctioned nine entities and individuals over their alleged interference in the election. The GRU and FSB, which are two Russian intelligence services, uh, four individual officers of the GRU and three companies that provided material support for the GRU's operations. The U.S. also separately sanctioned two Russian individuals, Evgeny Bogachev uh, and Alexei Bilan, for cyber-enabled means or using cyber-enabled means to allegedly cause misappropriation or funds of personal identifying information. Now, I guess Republicans have a new friend, as WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange commented on Sean Hannity's program, and he said that there's obvious reasons for Barack Obama and Democrats to focus their efforts on post-election efforts on uh, trying to legitimize the narrative that the Russian government interfered with the election for President-elect Donald Trump's win. Assange told Hannity that uh, Obama is using Russia to delegitimize Trump. <sighs> this is what political parties do to the soul. They, they eventually, they rot the soul. So... Democrats, when we were kids, Todd, had their CCCP jerseys on. Now, all of a sudden, they're all Red Scare. The Republicans were the party of the Red Scare. And now, we're, we're in a Russian bromance with a brutal dictator. Here's the thing. There is no evidence the Russians hacked the election. There is ample evidence they hacked the DNC. The DNC is not the election. Those are, two, those are separate stories, and here's why, yeah, and, and don't say, Steve, it's a distinction of the difference, guys. Right now, the polling shows as many Democrats believe Russians hacked voting machines on Election Day as Republicans believe Obama was born in Kenya, all right? So low information, conspiratorial nitwitism knows no political party. This distinction does matter. There's ample evidence they hacked the DNC. 
didn't you say a couple weeks ago that one of the greatest casualties of uh, 2016 was truth yes. and that we cannot survive? Yes. And, well, we're on a great start. Now, if, 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 if what they hacked out of the DNC impacted the election, that is not a hack of the election. That is the fault of the DNC for having a bunch of embarrassing, sensitive material out there to be hacked and exposed. All right, so let's make sure we get that straight. And these hacks went on for the last two months of the campaign. And there was zero evidence that Hillary was going to lose until James Comey sent his letter. Whatever came out of WikiLeaks didn't cause Hillary not to campaign in Wisconsin, didn't tell her to set up a private email server and then try and lie about it for God knows how long. And furthermore, they knew this stuff was going on when they thought they were winning. They didn't just find out after the election. Mm -hmm. So these are two separate issues. Now, absolutely, if we have a foreign government attempting to hack a major American political party for its own reasons. Now, I'm old enough to remember we called those things acts of war. But that's a separate issue from hacking the election. And now the people in the Republican Party and watching some of Trump's spokespeople call Assange, he's he's a hero. Some of the stuff he leaked got Americans killed in Afghanistan. He's lived in the Ecuadorian, he's, he's lived there in their embassy since 2012. Why? To escape extradition to Sweden for rape. That's why. That's why. This guy isn't a hero. Just because he embarrassed your political rival on a, na- on a global stage doesn't mean he's your buddy. Now listen, man, you take help where you can get it. I'm not saying you deny the stuff that he leaked. But we certainly don't send Sean Hannity to Ecuador to fed him either. Apparently we do. We don't make him a hero either. We got to be better than that. You know, we want to sit over here on the right and chastise our friends on the left for their inability to draw distinctions, and then we're doing stuff like this. But this is what political parties do. They cause uh, they, they rot the soul. They cause us to lose our perspective. I know. I was once a part of it. I understand. And we've got to justify it. And there's nothing that better sets this example than Hannity going to meet with Assange after the election. We don't even need this cat anymore. Thank you. Appreciate the appreciate the doc dump. We'll take it from here. The adults are now in the room. We don't need to. We don't even need to. It's not even the election's over. You won. Are we that desperate? Yes. 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 Apparently we are. We don't even have to. We don't even have to fake pretend like this guy's relevant anymore. Now you can just laugh at him. Hey, thanks. Appreciate it. But he's saying things that I like, Steve. That's saying things that I need to hear. There's a word for this. We don't use it anymore, but it is still true. What you're describing is idolatry. Golem and and the precious. And it's and it's every bit as prevalent to people wearing our own jersey as it is the people that are over there believing Russia's the reason Hillary Clinton lost. And they laughed at Mitt Romney four years ago, said he wasn't ready to be president of the United States for claiming Putin was our greatest enemy four years ago. And now, because he got in the way of their precious, suddenly he is an enemy. That's idolatry. That's what it is. 
I'm just, I just want you to know now, I'm never getting into that. I'm just not. And, and there must be a market for it. I mean, you look at the last two guys that won the U.S. presidency, they did so by either denying Putin's true nature or romancing it. So there, there's clearly a market amongst some of y'all. Some of y'all just love you some Russia. I don't. And I'm never getting into this, yeah, my guy's of this, but your guy's of that. And my guy, it's okay that he's of this because he's wearing my uniform. I'm not doing that. I did that when I did sports talk radio. I left that behind. When I was a child, I thought, spoke, and reasoned as a child. When I became an adult, I set aside such childish things. You want that kind of stuff? There's a million other outlets. Most of them are making more money than I am. Go there. I'm never doing that. You're listening to Steve Dace. Beating liberals is important, but more important, who you beat them with. This is Steve Dace. And we're back here on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. He is one of my favorite conservative bloggers out there. And given how his blog has blown up, I am not alone. Matt Walsh joins us from The Blaze. Uh, Happy New Year, my friend. How are you? Doing great. Happy New Year. So it is good to get you on the show here this evening. I know a lot of people are looking forward to it. I want to begin, Matt, by asking you, big picture view, as we head into 2017, was 2016 really as bad as everyone thought? Because my, my, my New Year's resolution for 2017 is to stop whining about 2016. Yeah, well, because we can start whining about 2017, so... Uh, 2016 was the worst year ever, but I'm sure we'll hear that 2017 was even worse. No, look, there are a lot of reasons to be, uh, there are a lot of things that went wrong in 2016, just like there are things that go wrong in every year. Uh, and as you know, I think both of us are not huge Trump fans, so, um, I think we would all agree that maybe the election didn't go how we, how we, how we would have preferred. But, uh, the, the, the hand-wringing over 2016, some of it somewhat sarcastic, I suppose, but, a lot of people really think it was the worst year in history, and I think that shows uh, a propensity for you know emotional hyperbole in a lot of people, but also a, a really astounding historical illiteracy that uh, people really don't know anything about what happened in the world prior to you know the year two thousand five, uh, because of course there were many worse years. Can you give us some examples of worse years than twenty sixteen? Well, I'm, you know, if you, I, you could go back to the, the 1400s and you have the years of the, the Black Plague. Um, you've got the, you know, we could always talk about 1939 to 1945 where you had the Holocaust, you had World War II, you have uh, maybe 1861 to 1865 where uh, 600,000 Americans died in the Civil War. You've got the, the flu pandemic of, uh, in, the, in, the, in the early 1900s that wiped out millions of people. So, there have been um, there have been some really rough years in in the history of of the world, and I don't think that 2016 matches up, particularly in the United States, because a lot of the people talking about how horrible 2016 was, they're talking about the political situation in the United States and the fact that a bunch of celebrities died. They're not even really talking about what's going on in Syria, which is a historic travesty, although it still doesn't uh, fortunately stack up to some of these others, although maybe it will. But they're not even referring to that, which is the only 
way that you could even make a case if you say that, well, look at what's happening in Syria. But that's what people aren't even saying that. They're saying George Michael died and uh, Donald Trump was elected, and that's why it's the worst ever. You can't help but chuckle when you regale us with details of bad stuff that happened in the world before 2016 that are of a cataclysmic nature. When you line it up with, yeah, it sucks that the guy that gave us monkey died and um, Princess Leia um, uh, passed away as well. But in the grand scheme, and Mariah Carey's lip sync meltdown on New Year's Eve, but in the grand scheme of things, really, is was it really that bad? Now, how much of this do you think is social media sarcasm and how much of it really is how banal we have become as a people? I think it's a combination. It's a combination of both those things. There is social media sarcasm. It's like with the, the Harambe meme. It's become a meme now, and everyone jokes about Harambe. And I think that they're, that they're funny jokes, but we, we have to remember that people really did mourn over Harambe when he died, Harambe the ape. Uh, there were people actually mourning over that, so that really did happen. There were candlelight vigils and everything else. So it's not just sarcasm. The sarcasm stems from the actual absurdity that we, that we see in society. Uh, and, and I think a lot of it comes from, you know, we're, we're very comfortable. We live in a very comfortable culture and society. Uh, not a lot goes wrong. We're all, we, we like to talk about privilege. We're all very privileged to live in the country that we do. And we don't encounter a lot of hardship. Um, so little things like a celebrity dies and it just, it just blows our world to pieces. But can you imagine if, if, the, if, if we had to, uh, undergo something like the Black Plague, where a third of Europe was wiped from the face of the earth in a few years. So if, if we actually encountered something like that, it's just I, I can't even I can't even imagine. Why couldn't people just self-identify as cured and then be done with it? Well, that's a good look. That's science. That that is pure science. If you identify as something, then you're that. So, hey, I, Steve, it's too bad that you weren't alive back then because you could have given them the uh, you could have given them the cure. Yeah, why didn't somebody think about that? I was, I've been, I was along the lines we were just talking about. The amount of headlines I've seen on my Twitter feed today, uh, reporting on Bruce Springsteen's questioning of Donald Trump's qualifications and capabilities as president. Why? I mean, when he gets done playing "Born to Run" and "Glory Days," why is that a story? Why? Why? What is it? Where? Where did he get some accredited? Um, you know, status as a political pundit that it was worthy of the amount of, of of stories on my Twitter feed today. What Bruce Springsteen thinks of Donald Trump? Yeah, and it's not. It's not only is it uh, well, it's just Bruce Springsteen, but also it's not. It's something that we've heard a million. It's a criticism we've heard a million times. Uh, and so today it was Bruce Springsteen. Yesterday everybody was talking about a, a, a cartoon in the New Yorker that was the big topic. It's. I, I don't know how to explain it exactly, other than especially in social media we. It's, we always have to be talking about something. There always has to be something, and there's never a time where you log on to Twitter or Facebook, and everyone and everyone's just like, "Well, nothing's really going on." So you know, it's just it's just blank spaces, which maybe is what it should be sometimes because there's not a lot going on right now that's important. So let's all take a breath, maybe go read a book or something, or go go you know talk to our family, go go play with our kids, because we don't need to constantly talk about everything and turn everything into a headline. Scandal, but that's what happens now because you've got 24-hour cable news and you've got 24-hour whining on social media, and uh, so we're just we're losing our minds. Matt, how much of what goes on on social media and even cable news, how much of it do you think people like you and me, because we live in this world, or even people who listen to us or read us, 
are are really involved in this? And then how much does it really impact the average American or does it impact the average American because it impacts people like us, so it can't help it impact them whether they pay attention to it or not? Yeah, that's something I struggle with a lot because I think about um, how much am I contributing to this? And even now, we're talking about these frivolous things, although we're, we're criticizing the fact that people are talking about them, but we're still talking about them. Um, so I don't know. I think, I think those of us who are, as you say, in this world, um, I think the best thing that we can do is, you know, try to be thoughtful and, and, and try to go a little bit deeper. And because the fact is people are going to be listening, they're going to be reading, and there's no way around that. Everyone's on the Internet. Everyone's talking about everything all the time. So if we could just try to take the conversation a little bit deeper and to put deeper ideas and concepts out there, um, you know, maybe we can improve things a little bit. But uh, I, I don't, you know, I, I, I see things trending in the, in the opposite direction. Just a lot of shallow, pointless commentary. And um, I don't know if it's going to get any better. Matt Walsh from The Blaze is our guest here tonight, our first show back for 2017. More with Matt in a moment. Listening to Steve Dace. We're not trying to win the argument, we're trying to start one. This is Steve Dace. Matt Walsh from The Blaze is our guest here tonight, our first show back for 2017. As we move into 2017, where are you optimistic beyond, you know, your faith, your family, those things that are personal, unique to you, and transcendent at the same time? But I mean, culturally and where we are as a society, where do you see optimism right now? I don't, aside from those two things that you mentioned, because I was, that was going to be my go-to until you took them away from me. Um, <laughs> So aside from those two things, I, to be honest, look, I'm an Irish Catholic, so I'm, I've, I have a lot of doom and gloom, um, so don't come to me for the optimism. Uh, so I don't see, outside of Christ, outside of my family, I don't see a whole lot of reason for optimism. If I had to really search and stretch for it, I would say that, look, Republicans are going to be in charge. We're going to, when I say we, uh, you know, loosely, Republicans will own all three branches of government. Um, so there is an opportunity to make real change on, on at least a, a political level. There's an opportunity there. I'm not, am I optimistic about whether or not that opportunity will, will be fully exploited? No, but it is, at least it exists. So there's a possibility that in some of these areas we could see improvement. Um, and all we can do is, all we can do is hope. And on top of hoping, we as conservatives, as, as I know you've been saying and I've been saying, we have to really hold these guys accountable uh, because it's not. we can't just sit back and be optimistic. We have to hold these guys accountable and say, no, look, this is what you need to do. You have no excuses now, so go do it. Whether it's get rid of Obamacare, defunding Planned Parenthood, that's a big one to me. They could do that on the first day. So go, 
go do it. Um, and so if we're active about it and we're vigilant, then, yeah, there's a, maybe there's reason for, for optimism. You mentioned the word conservative. Right now, the most influential platform in conservatism is Fox News, even though I don't think there's much there that is actually conservative. Uh, certainly not in its primetime lineup. I don't think there's a single conservative there. I think Tucker Carlson's an upgrade over Greta Van Susteren. Um, and I don't watch, but I'm just looking at the reactions that I see from my audience, the clips I see that go viral, the stuff that we see that gets passed around in our industry. I, I think Tucker's an upgrade over Greta Van Susteren, but he's always been more of a libertarian than a conservative anyway. And I look at their primetime lineup and I ask myself, if I was doing a, a pro-life conference, who in their primetime lineup would I invite? If I was doing a conference on the Constitution, whom would I invite to speak that, that's on Fox primetime? If I was if I was doing something on the role, the integral role faith played in the founding of America, who in their primetime lineup would I invite to speak? I mean, these are the things that are inherent to conservatism, and I, I can't think of any of those any of those paragons that are in uh, that are embodied by any member of the primetime lineup of what is the most influential outlet right now in conservative media and let's face it a lot of people who didn't want to support trump ended up doing it just so they can get on fox or be mentioned by fox or not be blacklisted and you and i both know that's true that's the reality of the 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 world in which we live today so with the news now that megan kelly is leaving to go to nbc news by the end of the year i I, i'd like to you know wouldn't it be nice and i get it's fox so he's got to have to be a he or she would have to be a trump humper but, you know, wouldn't it be nice if they actually put a real conservative in their primetime lineup just one one time somewhere? Well, it would be nice. It would be nice, and I agree with you. It's a very good question. You know, pro-life conference, who would you invite from Fox? I, I, I really can't think of anybody outside of a few of maybe the contributors. Um, so that, that's a really good question. But you know, aside from finding a conservative, you also have to find one who is compelling and charismatic and can make these i can explain these ideas defend them in a way that is um compelling but also you know uh, illuminating and 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 makes people understand these ideas so that's a rare talent it's a it's a it's a rare thing that you find people who can actually do that it's just a rare talent um and unfortunately in the media landscape there's just so much you know there's so much demand for punditry and commentary there are so many of them out there that um, there's no way that all of them or even half of them or even 90% of them are actually going to, number one, have the principles, and number two, have the actual talent to communicate them because it's such a rare ability. And I think that um, people who are, you know, the viewers and the readers and so forth, they really need to realize that, and I'm not, you know, I don't mean to put, pull statistics out of, my, out of the hat here, but uh, I would say, you look at all the conservative pundits and commentators, probably 95% of them or more are really in it for just for the attention and for the fame and, mm-hmm. and, and, and all that. That's, that's what they really want. And so they're not, even if they have the ability to go deeper and to really defend these principles, they're not interested in doing it because it's much easier to do the cheap outrage and whatever is the yep. story of the moment to just, to just spit out talking points about that story. Like, much like a Sean Hannity. How uh, many- that's, the easy, that's the easy thing to do, and, and that's, that's what most people do. We'll have one more segment with Matt Walsh from The Blaze next. You're listening to Steve Dace.
declaration of dependence on the laws of nature and nature's God. This is Steve Dace. How many people at Fo- uh, in, 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 that are names at Fox do you think? Looking at their worldview, right? The wisest man who ever lived said by their fruit you will know them. So looking at what gets articulated on their shows, how many of them do you think are in a church that, treat, that preaches some form of orthodoxy once or twice a month? How many? Uh, of the of the of the uh, commentators of the opinion people, I, I, I don't like the. Prim- I, I, mean, I, I don't know. It, it would seem like none. Uh, it would. It's not very many. I would think that, that would that, that's in their prime time lineup. And 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 this is why. See, I think the reason why this is important is because I've I have had I've had live conversations with members of Congress, Matt, who have literally told me we can't bring that issue up. It won't play on Fox. I've had this said to me by live members of the U.S. Congress. Um, I, I know how many people in our line of work will create content simply to get recognized or to be on Fox. They are the Overton window in our industry. And so if, if this is, the, if this is the, the city gate for our movement, so to speak, right now, if they're determining um, if what plays on Fox determines what issues we're allowed to fight on or make a priority, you know, the, when the Republicans are in control or they determine, um, you know, that you've got to make certain accommodations or compromises in order to get access to their platform, then, yeah, the value system that they have, I think, does matter quite a bit. And it's it's just shocking to me that the number one platform for conservatism, at least what Americans believe is conservatism anyway, lacks conservatism. If that's not a metaphor for conservatism in general, Matt, I don't know what is. Yeah, absolutely. And, and and for all this talk about how Trump's election proves that the cable news outlets are irrelevant or the media doesn't matter, I think it proved exactly the opposite of that. I don't know why people keep going around saying that. Uh, you, you know, Fox News and the other cable news outlets created the, the Trump presidency. He wouldn't be president without them. And you're absolutely right that, that Fox News in particular is people don't realize how much influence they have over the entire conservative movement. And the only answer to that is for those of us who are not in the Fox universe and who are allegedly defenders of conservatism, we just have to, um, and I'm, I'm not perfect in this regard, don't get me wrong, because there's a lot of temptation that I experience as well, but we have to have a little bit of courage and virtue and, and to just say that, look, I don't care about, I really, it, it's not really about the success, I'm just going to put the truth out there and whatever happens, happens. But that's the only option that we have, and uh, if we're not willing to do that and possibly sacrifice some career opportunities down the line because of it. If we're not willing to do that, then uh, then conservatism has no hope. So we just have to make up our, our minds. I think this is also why we can't define conservatism. In fact, I would, I would make the argument that there's only been one movement in America that has been advancing an objective ideological framework for about the last hundred years, and it's progressivism. I think Christianity and conservatism, and it makes sense that conservatism would kind of follow in the line of the state of Christianity, because much of what conservatism is trying to conserve comes out of that moral tradition. I think I think both of them are largely industries and not movements. They largely define success by the selling of widgets, books, merchandise, selling out of conferences, not the advancement of public policy. 
uh, the winning of elections. And I think this is also why there's this notion that if anybody at all claims to be a conservative or a Christian, no matter what they may actually believe or how much they may damage the brand while claiming to be part of it, they have to be rooted for and we have to love on them because if they're successful, then we're successful. We can't just say, well, that person screwed up and they should be held accountable for it. And and this is why I think so much binary choice thinking is has become embedded in Christianity, even though Christianity, as a as 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 a rule historically, has fought that kind of idolatry in cultures and pushed back against it for hundreds of years now. And I think it's because we don't know what we're for. We our our our, our only definition is we don't we hate the liberal media and we don't like the left using government to enhance its own constituencies. But then you know once the dog catches the car, Matt, we don't know what the hell to do at that point. Yeah, we're defined in the negative by the things we don't like. And even many of those things, it turns out now we do like some of them, so I'm even more confused than I was before. Uh, but here's what we're running into, and it's just, it's just, you know, it's true that liberalism is far more defined, and they appear to be more focused on the agenda, even beyond, uh, and even putting that above uh, money and business in some, in some respects. But it's also easier for them because the liberal ideology is easy that's the whole point of it that you can do whatever you want think whatever you want believe whatever you want um you know as long as it's not christianity and and live however you want and just do whatever you want so that's that's an easy it's a really easy uh uh uh, you know ideology to live by and they do live by so we have one that there's no way around it it's more challenging and it's just it, it requires sacrifice that it requires discipline and it requires intelligence and in that you are thoughtful and it, it requires all these things of you and there's and you just you can't get around it so so that's one of the reasons why conservatism is not as clearly defined because the people who should be doing the defining are afraid of it because they know that if they really define it it's going to require things of them and for them to change their own lives and they don't want to do that and that's why a lot of conservative commentators have entirely abandoned the quote unquote social issues of life, marriage, gender, because because in in those issues you have you have the the moral substance mm-hmm. of conservatism, and they know that once they come head to head with that and they confront that, that that's scary to them as well because that's going to require them to change their lives and they don't want to do that. So um, we have the more difficult, in a lot of ways, worldview, and um, if we try to get around that, then we're never going to be able to define it because that's part of the definition, in, in, in my view. Great stuff, Matt Walsh from The Blaze. You definitely want to read him. He is a must-read every time he comes out with something new. It's good to have you on the show, my friend. We're going to do this again soon. God bless you, all right? Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, Steve. All right, take care. Gentlemen, quickly, did you hear anything from Matt Walsh that stood out to you? Yeah, again, uh, what he said there towards the end about our worldview being the more difficult one because it actually calls us to do what? It calls us to rise above our base human nature. That's so true, and that starts not with somebody else in your church or somebody else in your community that you know is conservative. That starts with you, and you got to be checking yourself every day, really. Every conversation you have with somebody who doesn't share your worldview, am I actually being a testament to what I believe, or am I causing, um, is, are my own actions and the way I uh, behave, are they causing um, me to damage my entire testimony towards my worldview? I share Matt's Catholic pessimism, which is not the same thing as being without hope. I, I, I'm full of hope, both for uh, the time being and for eternity. But in terms of this next year, 
pessimism wins thus far. You're listening to Steve Dace. Selling out isn't a virtue. This is Steve Dace. Hey, can we go back to the uh, top of the show? There's one major story from Holiday News and Views we forgot to mention, and we should. And it's been a, uh, a huge year of, uh, for celebrity deaths, or at least 2016 was. But right at the end of the year, the passing of Carrie Fisher, just 60 years old. Her mother, Debbie Reynolds, didn't she pass away like the next day? The next day. Or the very yeah. next day while planning her daughter's funeral. That is, um, you know, the timing, a, a, a brand new Star Wars movie had just come out. They just finished wrapping episode eight. Apparently, her character, who's now a general, not Princess Leia anymore, has a pretty big role to play in that film. And I don't know if, if this was going to be her send-off like Han Solo's. I don't know if they have to recut the film, re-edit the film. But um, I don't know why, because... Um, she was not as big of a star as Harrison Ford. Uh, she was not as as big of a star as some of the other luminaries we lost this year, like Prince and those sorts of figures from our generation, Todd. But uh, this one, and I'm not a big celebrity death person just because... Everybody dies. Everybody dies. Yeah, the death rate's 100%. I'm more interested in the people that die that had a, uh, that have a, I have a direct relationship with uh, or people that I care about have direct relationships with. But... Uh, even at my house, all five of us kind of paused for a moment and uh, said a little prayer when we heard about her passing. Yeah. Probably because of the force of nature that Star Wars has been in our lives, all of our lives. That's it. And one of the shows uh, Aaron and I did while you were gone was the evening uh, her mother died. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, we talked about Carrie Fisher a lot and the, the, some of the crazy reactions to it, but mostly positive. Yeah, Steve, you and I are... Five and six years old when Star Wars comes out. And right now here, you and I are 43 and 44-year-old men, and we're talking about all kinds of crazy notions of women's strength. We knew exactly what women's strength was when we were six, and then we learned some more when we were nine, and then more when we were 12. This incredibly tough leader in wartime, leader of men. We didn't question it. It made sense. Integrity, courage, bravery. And then you learn more. Also vulnerable. She's the ma- she's the one who also tamed Han Solo. She's the one then who, with the uh, famous bikini scene, showed a, a, a feminist sign. Now everybody came out wailing, gnashing of teeth. Don't you dare show that. They yelled at Steve Martin. He's now a misogynist because he said she was one of the most beautiful things I'd ever seen. You know, she, she informed men like us of what great courageous beautiful awesome women are and we knew that 35 years ago steve and that's why it hits home for us because all the garbage that's force-fed us now was given a lie to a woman named carrie fisher who's a, a progressive in real life but that character is an every woman and a beautiful one that is very well said i i think for a lot of the men of our era she really was their first picture of contemporary femininity at least from popular culture, and I think that's why it had such an impact. Hour three is next. You're listening to Steve Dace. 
are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker, that is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And we're back with Hour 3 here on a Tuesday. It's our first show for 2017. And I want you to know this up front, because I know a lot of you are probably worried about this. We are going to be every bit as good in 2017 as we were last year. I didn't get that memo. You didn't? No. Now, I'm not saying that that's objectively good. Oh, good. It's just we're going to be as good. I, I you have no idea where the bar is, though. I, I don't. No, I just I I know I know as what, long as it's lower. I know whatever level of average we brought to the table last year, we're going to be that good again this year because this is the best we got, guys. This is it. It's what we bring to the table. You know, one of the things I'm I'm beginning to develop a complex now. My wife is saying to me all the time, "Hey, what's that look on your face?" And I look at her. I'm like, "It's my face." It's what I'm packing right now. It's what I bring to the table. I'm 43 years old. That's I don't have a look. It's my look. It's what I got. Should I feel? Am I, should I feel self-conscious and that my wife no. keeps asking me about this look on my face when and it's just my face? If I can relate at all, uh, I have been told in v- numerous contexts that I'm a very difficult person to read. I'm like, it's my face, guys. It's just it's the way that I look. So I wouldn't worry about it too much. That's all I got. Let's get to three questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? Question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. And this is the time of the night when our producer Aaron gets to take over the agenda, at least for the next few minutes. He gets to ask us three questions. Three things about any three things. There is nothing off limits. He just has to answer the same questions himself. And I've been gone for a couple of weeks, so these better not be lame. What did we just say at the top of this show? You're right. My bad. (laughs) You know what? You may lame when ready. Go ahead. I'm going to ask you the same question that I asked a friend, uh, Bob Vanderplatz, one time when you were gone. If you had to make a specific resolution for the church, specifically in the United States, not a general uh, resolution for the new year, what resolution would you make? You mean like, in, in, in the, like a resolution in the context of a New Year's resolution? Yep, New Year's resolution for the church. That every minister, every minister listening within the sound of my voice, every pastor, priest who's going to give a sermon, a homily this year, would resolve to find something in the Bible that they have viewed to be too controversial or too inconvenient or too unsettling for their congregation or parish to hear a sermon on in the past and do it. Whatever that may be. If for no other reason than to get people out of their comfort zones, provoke them a little bit, 
and get people out of this notion that God's word is this sort of sanitary, antiseptic, antibacterial wipe um, phenomenon that is safe when it's not. That would be it. I think that's because you're only giving me one. And I think that's a good place to start. There's a reason why it calls itself a sword. And what is a double-edged sword? It means it can pierce the wielder every bit as much as the wheelie. The blade is pointed on both sides. That's the point. It's one of the reasons why I love the book of Romans. Because there's a cadence to it. It's almost as if every other chapter... At one chapter, Paul will eviscerate skeptics and challenges to the faith, even some things that wouldn't come for hundreds of years. The arguments against them are still found in, 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 in the book of Romans. And yet the very next chapter you'll often find, well, then Paul will turn that criticism and accountability inward at fellow believers. Almost as if to say, yeah, this is about you too. It was said that Calvin would preach for hours because he would try to figure out in advance what everybody's objection to his sermon would be and how they would try to exempt themselves from it. And so he would preemptively answer their objections within the context of his own sermon so everybody in the pew would know he's talking about you too. Right? I, I think that uh, we've, we've got to begin this understanding. We have to have a more full and complete understanding of God's Word. And to me, that starts with Going, play, letting it take us places that in the past we've decided for ourselves it doesn't get to take us. Um, this one should be obvious for me. Uh, the exclamation, excommunications will continue until morale improves. Uh, and continuing would be, would be nice. How could, about starting? Could, could they, yes, could they just start? Uh, I, I can't state this enough. People need to be public. It's, you know, we, we, this is a show we talk about politics. Uh, many of us may have the same sins, but we don't have the uh, boilerplate that they do. When they are this publicly and brazenly against their own church, it must be pointed out and there must be consequences. I would agree. And the one that I ha I really like uh, what both of you said, because it deals with leadership, which is what we're desperately, I think, lacking in the church right now, at least courageous leadership. What I had was more for the church as a whole, because in the end, responsibility falls on each and every human being. I mean, we are responsible for our own actions. So I would say that for each of us individually, that we would always continue to try to prune ourselves, to take away that which is not um, helpful for us um, in our spiritual walks, whatever that may be. And I, I think for each of us to do a better job of confessing sins, because that, I know it doesn't sound uh, that, I mean, it sounds cl cliche and trite sometimes. I think that is where one of the biggest differences can be made in an individual level for everybody in the church. Uh, question two, what's the closest you've ever come to having a don't-you-know-who-I-am type of moment? <laughs> it's funny. I was just, I was watching something with the kids the other night, and a celebrity did that, and I looked at him and said, don't ever play the don't-you-know-who-I-am card. So I, I have made plenty of mistakes. I've never come close to making this one. Just because I watched too much Sports Center when I was growing up, guys, right? From Michael Irvin on to every time you saw an athlete play this card, you knew what was coming next. So I, I can't think of a time, if anything, I have a tendency to go the other way. Because I'm, I'm, 
I, I, those are like famous last words, right? You know, so I've never come close to playing that card at all because I've seen too much evidence about what happens once you do. The one that popped in. I, I have other afflictions. This is not one of them. The one that popped into my head is that I, uh, when I first moved here to Iowa I don't know, 15, 16 years ago, I played uh, in an over-30 baseball league, and that came after uh, I had umpired minor league baseball. I went to um, uh, professional umpire school uh, after I graduated from college. So a lot of times here in this, you know, a bunch of guys just playing in the Des Moines area, uh, if an umpire would do something bad, I, I was always better trained. I knew what I was doing, so I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be that overt. But I would ultimately end up, yeah, trying to pull them aside and give, you know, I, trying to tell them somehow. Listen, I know more than you on this. Um, one came a few weeks ago for me in in the time that I'm not um, working this show. Uh, I, I help out part time for another ministry in uh, in town here. It happens to be a radio ministry, and I was going around at an event that they had, and I was recording people's responses to why they liked this uh, particular ministry. And I asked one guy if he'd be willing to um, to to share his thoughts so I could record them. And he said, "Sorry, buddy, I listen to." And then he named the affiliate that the Steve Dace show is on. And I, I was very nearly uh, ready to say, don't you know who I am? <laughs> You've probably heard me before, man. Uh, last question. What's the least common New Year's resolution you've ever made? I haven't made the New Year's resolution in so long. So common or otherwise. Um, least common. To watch more football. I was going to say to read most all the Harry resolve, Potter books again. Most people resolve to watch less, to watch more. You felt cheated one year? <laughs> Just, <laughs> I'm going you for know, it all this year, man. You know, the Hall of Fame game was canceled, so you were cheated. <laughs> I didn't wear a groove into the carpet in my man cave sitting in that chair enough this fall. <laughs> when the season ends next year, when I move that lazy boy, man, I want to see rivets from where that church was anchored in there, and I sat there for so long. I've known you a long time. I've never sensed the football thing was a problem. Well, he was uncommon, right? I was trying to think of what is uncommon. <laughs> I mean, it'd be a common thing. I was spending, watch less, not care. I, I'm going to watch more. I want more. I want more. And when you like something, you just you got to have it. You want more of it. More in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. Surrender isn't a strategy. This is Steve Dace. Now for something completely different. We need to have a talk about an excursus on natural theology. I prefer metaphysics to theology. See, there's no guilt in baseball. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Can we talk about something else? Certain aspects of his culture may seem absurd, perhaps even offensive. We have cut the culture crap and get to the hotel. We gotta get some buzz going. This is the Nightly Buzz, where we go back and take a look at some of the headlines from earlier in the day we didn't have time to get to. Because even in a three-hour show, you can't cover everything worthy of covering. Our producer, Aaron, after trolling your social media, he's got those headlines, and 
We've got the hot takes. Well, we mentioned this in passing, and we'll uh, go a little bit more in depth now. 52% of Democrats believe Russia tampered with vote tallies to get Trump elected. That's an economist YouGov poll. The New York Times has also reported a cyber espionage team uh, connected to Russia did penetrate the Democrat National Committee, which we got into before. That's not the same as the de- Democrats or, or the uh, Russians hacking the election. And 52% of uh, Democrats believe that actually happened. We do live in a post-truth culture. We live in an age where most people want to hear the news they want to hear, not whether it's the news or it's objectively true or not. And that's just the reality of who we are as a people. People have a tendency to not want to believe that the reason they lost or didn't get what they want is their own fault or that other people don't want the things that they do. And so there must be some sinister force at play. And, you know, sometimes there are, right? I mean, I mean, there, are, there, there certainly, certainly have been stories and examples of cabals or attempts to manipulate events. But most of the time, you're your own fault. And, and most people just don't want to hear that message. They want to hear there's something else to blame or someone else to blame as well. And if there's one thing this election proved... I said it earlier tonight, Todd, I'll say it once more. Low information, conspiratorial nitwitism is no longer for Democrats anymore. It's for Republicans. We're seeing it on both sides. And and the fact you've got just as many people on the right think Obama's a Kenyan as do on the left think that Putin is the reason that uh, Hillary lost proves my point. It's... Stories like this filtering in over the course of Christmas break, and you hear, oh, 2016, 2016, worst year ever. Considering all of this, you ain't seen nothing yet. 2016 just laid the land for everybody really getting the wailing and the gnashing of teeth going. It's going to, we may, we, whatever we believe may come out clean on the other side. We may have some big victories, but it's going to be brutal in 2017 because of this very sort of thing. Lessons have not been learned, Steve. House Republicans on Monday voted to eviscerate the Office of Congressional Ethics. It's the independent body created in 2008 to investigate allegations of misconduct by lawmakers after several bribery and corruption scandals sent members to prison. The ethics change, which prompted an outcry from uh, Democrats and the government uh, watchdog groups, is part of a rules package that the full House would have voted in on Tuesday. But after President-elect Donald Trump criticized House Republicans for their plans to gut the Office of Congressional Ethics, they called for an emergency meeting to reverse the change. Most Americans didn't know this office existed until probably last night, Mm -hmm. which doesn't make what they did here any less dumb. So one of the first things Republicans do when they reconvene for this Congress is they get together, have a secret vote, so nobody's on the record, to get rid of Americans' ability to anonymously file ethics charges against their congressmen. You've heard a term, tone deaf. In politics, it means just being so insulated in your own world that you no longer are able to understand how the average person reacts to what you're doing. Whatever the next step in devolution is beyond tone deaf is what this story was. I mean, this this was all kinds of stupid. It looked bad. The way they did it was bad. Having it be one of the first things they did when they reconvened made it look worse. And you know that that everything I'm saying is true. Because one of the first things they did when they reconvened again this morning 
was to get rid of this. Go back on what they just did here and undo it and reinstate the office. Because that's, so that's as smart to swiftly react to this and cleaning up this mess as it was dumb to go down here in the first place. But Todd, the thing that's disconcerting about this, and again, most of us don't, didn't know this office existed, didn't know what it really does, but the fact that this is how I'd view this as an average American. Of all the things this election showed we wanted you to do when you took over in January, you somehow came up, came up with the notion that the top thing on your priority list was undoing an office that investigates ethics complaints against your members. That's the message you got out of this? That, that is what we had to move heaven and earth to do first thing. First thing, first day we're back in January. The first thing we got to do is get rid of this obscure office that investigates ethics complaints. That is what you think the American people's priority is? That's political malfeasance, Todd. You are right on all those fronts, but I'm going to play uh, contrarian a little bit because this body was created in 2008. And somehow the people that are responsible for not understanding whether a boy is a girl or a girl is a boy or, or, and want you to be able to sell baby parts uh, on the uh, open market are going to give us lessons on ethics. I have a big problem with that. They're treating this like holy writ when they've been burning the Constitution now for quite some time. The problem is that the Republicans didn't make a case. There's a case to be made that elected officials should have this in their hands and, and not some um, you know quasi-public body of more bureaucrats. But you got to make that case. you got to do sure. it openly in the sunshine. If only, if only this was like an elected body that had the ability to hold public hearings, that to make, it had a platform that gave the average American a chance to hear every argument you just made. Oh, wait. All those things were at their disposal to make that point and then to turn it into a political plus to say, we're going to do things differently. This is another example of NGOs and NGAs. We're getting rid of all this crap. The people you actually elected are making the decisions around here because we're accountable to you. And that even includes our own ethics. But they didn't do that. What's your favorite Who song, Steve? Meet the new boss? Same as the old boss. And the parting on the left is now the parting on the right. And their beards have all grown longer overnight for we know... That the hypnotized never lie. That this when I saw this, I just I I couldn't even react to this on Twitter last night. I just shook my head, sitting in the lazy boy, watching the uh, the uh, the Sugar Bowl last night, and I just I was just like, well, I know what we're going to be talking about tomorrow. What's the opposite of a helmet sticker? A hot poker. You get a hot poker. Get a hot poker sent to you, Rusty. A rusted hot poker in the mail by courier the next day, and he wears rubber gloves. That's the opposite of helmet stickers. I mean, this was, this, I, I, and I just, I cannot believe no one stood up. No one stood up and said, guys, um, I know the Mar, I know we're not Mar, I know it, okay? But do you think? We ought, to, we ought to go glass Joe here and lead with our chin on Mike Tyson's punch out, do you think? The Republican Party is just kind of like the deer standing at the edge of the road, just mesmerized by the headlights. And it's like, should I go and get hit by the car or should I turn around and go back? And then it usually gets and ends up getting hit by it's, the car. It's, you're right. It, it's like the bug and the windshield. Which is which? Yes.
listening to Steve Dace. You lose 100% of the battles you refuse to fight. This is Steve Dace. All right, back here on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. So I did keep up on what was going on in the world while I was gone. You seem lucid today. Are there days that I do not seem lucid? No, but coming right out of the... See uh, what I just did? I just did the chick thing there, right? Yeah. Say to your wife, well, you look pretty today. What is she? Surely, how does she respond, uh, Todd? I don't like this As opposed to, I'm really uncomfortable right does this, now. What is, does that mean I wasn't pretty yesterday? I'm can, writing all this down. Can we start yeah, this segment learn, over? I'm learning so much on this show. <laughs> you're learning all the wrong lessons, but then again, you're the uncle that took a kid to see cadavers. Because he wanted to. I'm well, the that's, well a, hey, that's hey. a standard. First rule of parenting. Because they wanted, wanted to. to. Nice. Yes. I'm their uncle, not their parents. You're ready. Yeah. Every man, every, yeah. Every, I always tell men, you're never ready. You're officially ready. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Go play in traffic. Have fun. <laughs> So I did pay some attention to what was going on in the world while I was away. I read a fantastic piece at National Review about a week and a half ago by Tim Alberta. I actually linked it on our Facebook wall while I was gone. Everyone should read it, draw their own conclusions. But it got me thinking about where we are as conservatives. Because I think it's clear what lost on Election Day. Obama's legacy lost, progressivism lost. I think we all agree on that. What I think is not clear is what won. That, I think, is not clear and is still to be determined. So as I, after I read this piece, it got me thinking about the big picture. So I've got a list here, five things... Then I think, I th- see, I think we live in a post-conservative America now. Just like we live in a post-Christian America. And that shouldn't be a surprise, be- because a lot of the things conservatism in its, in its rightful form seeks to conserve comes out of the Judeo-Christian tradition. So if, if you're seeing that we live in a post-Christian America, well then you're going to eventually live in a post-conservative America because you're going to run out of things for conservatism to actually conserve. See my point? So if, we, if, we, if indeed we do live in a post-conservative America, I've got a list of five things here, and I want to get you guys' reaction to them. All right? Five lessons I think we as conservatives need to learn. Number one, that there really is no conservatism now. And we don't really know how long it's been since there really was. That instead what we call conservatism is an opposition movement. It's opposition to the left's use of government to enhance and promote its various constituencies um, while maligning our own. It's opposition to the left media, um, not to mention its insipid echo chamber. It's opposition to tyrannical global ideologies like radical Islam or Marxism. But there is no objective framework that we are supposedly conserving in place of these things. Merely we are defined only by opposition. And what happens is the left seeks to open the Overton window a little bit wider. We fret 
and complain for a time being. They eventually get their way. We accept that as a new normal, and they move on to their next attempt to crack it open a little wider after that, and this cycle continues. Your thoughts? You're absolutely right, and there's a reason for it. It's because um, conservatism has to, well, any ideology to be effective ultimately has to be on offense a lot of the time. You cannot let your guard down. We are perpetually on defense because our number one priority oftentimes is comfort comfort as christians as conservatives to make things as easy street as possible listen i like easy street you like easy street but sometimes you got to look at the world around you and say you know easy street is you know rubble strewn there are craters huge craters and in and you also have to be thinking that way before it gets to that point you got okay i got to plan ahead i got to pave that street we always are reacting way too late. I mean, our founders constantly taught of us about the level of vigilance we needed to have. De Tocqueville talked about those things. This is not a new concept, but we have gotten fat, dumb, and lazy. I would agree with that, and I would also add that if you want to look at what moving the ball forward looks like, it doesn't always mean winning elections. We have this saying on the show, uh, it's not about the next election, it's about the next generation. Well, you look at the left and what they've done, especially over the last eight years when they've had a true believer in progressivism in Barack Obama in the White House. They've lost so many elections. There was a, another graphic that I saw over the holidays uh, just indicating how many seats they've lost across the country. But they have continually moved the ball forward at every single turn, and yet they haven't won elections, but they sure as heck have won the next generation. And that's going to be something the conservative movement has to contend with and has to at least recognize moving forward. I will go through the other four things that I think we need to know moving forward into 2017 in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. Following the truth, no matter where it leads, the Steve Day Show. All right, let's continue on this list of five things we need to learn as conservatives if we're going to be living in a post-conservative America for the time being. So number number two, I think the fact that that we do live in a post-conservative America, follow me for just a moment now, does ironically provide some legitimate cause for real conservative optimism for with for Trump. Here's why. He is a product of the very system that we are lamenting. So he's going to be motivated by different things. If he can be motivated that what's best for his constituencies is what's best for him, then I think you'll get him to do some things maybe more conventional or traditional conservatives in the past would not be able to do or willing to do, like move the capital of Israel to Jerusalem, for example. It may not be the worst thing in the world to have your proxy be non-ideologically driven if we're going to live in a time that is non-ideologically driven. Now, of course, this is going to work against you plenty of times as well. But I think there, there may be opportunities... In the end, I think he will probably excite us and betray us at pretty much the same level most Republicans already have. It just, Todd, may be the things he excites us and betrays us on might be different than previous Republicans would have done so. I think this is fascinating analysis because 
as frustrating as his chaotic uh, candidacy was to the point that we had to organize Never Trump, that level of unorganized thinking, uh, that level of chaos is almost preferable to any ideological tack we could expect him to take. I, I, I can't dream up a scenario where he goes full conservative. He, he, the best he could do is right out of the gate from a pragmatic standpoint, not because he believes it, is give us that Supreme Court uh, justice It is that most of us want because it is the smartest political play to set the table for him. But I think you're exactly right. I think the chaos that frustrated us to the point of never Trump is actually our best bet going forward. Aaron, I, I want to get your take on what I talked to Matt Walsh about earlier, that the only philosophy that is advancing it's objective framework it's meaning it's ideas is progressivism and that includes both christianity and conservatism you heard matt and i talk about that earlier tonight what's your take on that i would agree with that as well and for reasons that we've, we've talked about before the people on the other side are willing to die for their cause and they're also but 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 it's not just that they're also willing to take the other side out as well that's something that our side has not been able to do because we're, we're playing defense all the time and we're also not willing to go full measure. It's uh, like that scene from Breaking Bad when Mark, Mike Armantrout uh, tells Walter White, the main protagonist, uh, never go half measure, always go full measure. We don't have a killer instinct as a conservative movement and because of that we let everything through. We're like a, we're, we're like a turnstile. We're like an offensive line that's really, really bad. We let everything go through. And we're always playing defense. The fourth thing that conservatives need to learn if we're going to live in a post-conservative America. That binary choice thinking, because we don't have an objective framework of what we're trying to advance anymore. Binary choice thinking, which Christianity has traditionally challenged in cultures, in world systems. It's now deeply embedded within Christianity and thus conservatism itself. And this is why any any attempt you make to maintain an objective reality to or a, a loyalty to transcendent principles, those uh, you know within the group view that as as betrayal. Well, you're supposed to defend me. I'm in your group, and um, and America is largely just groups of various vested interests, Todd, that are united only primarily by their opposition to one another. Like I I posted on Twitter earlier today. You know, it'd be nice if, like I talked about with Walsh, if we had an actual conservative on Fox. Or what about Milo? I wouldn't even try to announce, pronounce his last name because I can't. But Milo's not a conservative, guys. He's an anti-PC provocateur. Just because somebody is against what you're against, Todd, doesn't mean they are for what you're for. And this is at the heart of, I think, uh, Matt Walsh's pessimism. I know when I went to college... I, I know fraternities do good things. The last thing I ever wanted to do in my life is say something like, yeah, I'm a gamma or I'm a delta. I mean, it, I had a visceral reaction against it. And the party that all of us just left is just in love with that right now. There's nothing to be optimistic about in this year or any other when you're thinking like that. Hey, you talk about uh, the low information um, voter not being a respecter of par party or ideology if that's even a thing anymore uh this 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 is kind of analogous uh, to that as well uh we're not immune from playing the um uh, the game of just identity politics on our side as well because we're we're all the both sides are so tribalistic right now we only see uh, our own team instead of what we actually believe 
And number f- and this this explains why so many of our brethren with bigger platforms and bigger bullhorns than we have became Trump humpers because they recognized this. And they and they couldn't have taken him down if they had tried because they knew this is what you wanted. So they gave the crowd in the Coliseum what they wanted. You didn't want evangelism. You wanted carnage. So that's what they gave you. Number five. And because of everything we just said, one by one they are all going to fall like toy soldiers. Every last conservative hero we have, every last one is going to bow the knee to Trump. Everyone. Because this is the nature of political parties. And if you look at how Trump got people to clown themselves when he had just the, the potential of power, what do you think he will get them to do now that he actually has it? And you're going to see conservatives this year tell us that Trump's trillion-dollar infrastructure program is a great idea. It's a great deal for the American people. Same way they told us George W. Bush's guns and butter were good, too. And we're going to hear Democrats talk about how Trump's trillion-dollar program's too big a government and too much waste when they didn't care about big government and waste for the last 40 years. Very few people want to be the next John the Baptist. Most people want recognition. They want friends. Trump plays on this reality of the human condition, which is why by the end of this year, whatever Trumpism is, that's exactly what the Republican Party and the so-called conservative movement will become. And as much as, of a, if I can jump in, as much as of a repudiation of the left and progressivism as Trump's election was, what you just described, Steve, should humble us all, that we really are that frail as human beings. But it won't. We'll come back and wrap things up in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. So that the world may know, this is Steve Dace. All right, back to wrap it up here. Our first show back in 2017. And we promised this audience, guys, that we were going to be every bit as good as we weren't last year, this year. And I want you to know, first show out of the gate, I think we absolutely missed the mark. So well done. That's exactly what we were going for. So what else did we learn here tonight, gentlemen? Todd, I'll start with you. Well, it's good to be back. Uh, Chris, my version of the man cave uh, was uh, refreshing. But despite being uh, really pessimistic about 2017 it still feels good to be back on the job because uh, what you just said last time about uh, every last conservative well well somebody has to stand and uh, it's an honor to be whatever small part i play on the show to be one of those standing and that's a rare opportunity in this world the time i spent reading scripture particularly again I, i firmly believe we're living in a time of the prophets right now uh we need voices in the wilderness so I've said it to you before on air and off there. Thanks again for giving me a seat at this microphone. Aaron? I would echo that as well. And what I learned tonight is that this, what has been said a couple of times, this low information movement, this fake news movement, it's, it's no respecter of party. Okay, both sides, if there are sides now, which there, there definitely are, both sides are, are guilty of this. 
And lest we think that we're above that, any of us think that we're above that, that you know, not playing to these uh, the stereotype, this um, dishonest stereotype of holding the other side to a standard that we're not even living up to ourselves. That starts stopping that starts with each one of us. And that means uh, not just believing everything you see on Facebook or everything you see on uh, the networks as well. It means doing your own work and your own footwork and your own legwork. Uh, in drawing conclusions about what you're seeing in the world. And if, you, if a conclusion is not clear as well, apply Occam's razor to it as well, or just reserve judgment for another time. But stop holding others to the, a different standard than you hold yourself. Start by holding yourself to a higher standard in everything that you do, but especially what you see or what you believe about the world around you. That's hmm. hard. That's hard. I'd, and I'd just take our word for it, too. I mean, I'd I, rather just click on a headline that says, You won't believe Trump's going to be mad when he sees this. Post that on my Facebook wall, and I did my bit for King and Country. I'm done, guys. Mm-hmm. I'm done. You know, I got hot yoga next. You know? you too? You're laughing, but that's most of America, guys. That's what's going on right now. That is what's going Is it not? I'm laughing at hot yoga. <laughs> As opposed to cold yoga? What's the difference between the two, by the way? I mean, do they, well, they heat a, the room in one and they, they chill the room yeah, in the other? They really? turn it into a sweat lodge. It's awesome. You've done this? My wife's done it. You've done this? My Steve, wife's done it. Steve Day Show is back, baby. Aaron starts by, I, take, I took a kid to see some cadavers and, and you end with, I do hot yoga? My wife has done hot yoga. That's different. You understand? I know it's confusing in this modern day culture, but different. I, maybe I wasn't ready to come back after all. John three seventeen. You're listening to Steve Dace.